Happy New Year to everybody. And, and it's my pleasure to be here this morning. I must admit, a little surprised as well by how many people are here. So thank you for, uh, for being here. And um, just a reminder, there are the puzzle packs down the corner if you are inclined to, um, to doze. But hey, listen, I'm, I'm actually a little feeling apprehensive here this morning. I was feeling quite confident when I first came in, but I'm a bit apprehensive here just given God's presence this morning while we're here. The, the, the sequence of songs the prayers that have been prayed. I really believe God is here this morning with us and wanting to share with us. And you'll see the significance of that. My first slide, I had no idea we were going to sing Noel. But my first slide, I thought, I want to share some thoughts with you this morning that are probably appropriate for starting a new year. And what better place to start is here. We've all just been through a time of celebrating Christmas, a time where... We've perhaps been together with family, with friends. Maybe that hasn't been the opportunity we've had. Maybe some of us have had the at the front line uh, looking after others at this time. But for, for wherever we were and whatever we were doing, Christmas has a meaning that's really wrapped up in this image that's on the screen. We've just sung about In fact, it's quite, it's quite good to be in a church that's becoming so multilingual, isn't it? We just sang a song in French, so you might know, right? Noel. Is actually the French word for Christmas. Right? Joyeux Noël, Christmas. It's also French for good news, Le Bon's Noël. Right? It's also the original uh, word in French comes from the Latin, which is actually for birthday. So we've got three concepts tied up in a word we were just singing about. Christmas, good news, birthday. And that's all tied up really in this image. As a the, um, those words that we had in our service here or in our church through that time of Christmas, I won't ignore you on the side, hi. Um, those, those four words that we heard preached through the period of, of December, peace, hope, joy, love. And there's always something very sobering about the time of Christmas when we do find that time in our lives to just sit, reflect, be quiet, and let God speak into our lives. And so this morning, I'm, I'm going to pray that that would be our experience as we, uh, we worship together and we think a little bit about what God is saying to us here. I have to do, uh, get these in order just so I don't lose my sound. You see, because when Christmas passes, uh, of course, we have what we've just come through. And that's New Year. It's a quite a different image. Many people's minds, New Year conjures up an image of celebration, let's go out and party hard and let's, let's welcome in something that's a promise of something new ahead, particularly after the year we've just had. Right? And uh, as we think about that New Year, there are, there are all sorts of things that happen uh, in our lives when we think about those, as has been mentioned in the prayer, the, uh, those New Year's resolutions that we make. Right? But in that previous image, Jesus is the centerpiece, right? right at the heart of it. Our focus, everything, all our thoughts are on Jesus. The question I want to just pose this morning is, where's Jesus in all of this? Where's Jesus in our lives when we move beyond? Where's Jesus when all of these other things start to become the things that preoccupy us and take our minds away perhaps from that very solemn 
focus that we had during the Christmas period, the things that, to some degree, overwhelm us at times. And we learn that those party-hard, big times, they, they're only for a short time. You come down afterwards and you, you lose that feeling of euphoria. What's going to sustain us through the year? And some, for some of us, those indulgences kind of show up a bit, right? And those New Year's resolutions that we had, I read somewhere there the other day that there was an estimate of over 60% of the New Year's resolutions that people make as a result of the indulgences they've made over Christmas are about losing some weight and doing some exercise. How many of you are like, oh no, don't put your hand up, right? <laughs> but but it's, it's not surprising, is it, that in, in the culture and the way that we live, that that might be the sort of way that we think. But, you know, not a lot of uh, us have the opportunity to follow through often on those, those resolutions before we come, become a little overwhelmed by these things on, those, on that previous slide. Sometimes the things that uh, are the consequence of what we've experienced in the last year. And so I want to think for a moment about the people in, in the world that we live in, not just even in our church, but in our community, in our nation, in our world, who don't have the choice to make a New Year's resolution like that. I mean, a lot of people at the moment being affected by climate change. And regardless of where you sit on the continuum of people who believe or don't believe that this may be an issue, we are being impacted by something that's happening. We only had to watch last night's news of the fires up in Northland. Those devastating fires also, when it's supposed to be snowing in parts of the US. We're thinking about countries in the, uh, in the Pacific that have only about 10 to 15 years left before their whole islands are going to be overwhelmed by water. Not long before, that might affect a lot of the coastline of New Zealand. And so we've got a, we've got a, a legacy, a lot of which is a consequence of acts that we've taken, those indulgences, those things that we take, those ways in which we work and live uh, the amount of plastic we put in the sea, all these other things. I'm not saying this to make anyone feel guilty here, but just to highlight the fact that this is the reality for many others. We've also got, of course, how can we forget the impact of the pandemic and the fact that that impact is not over just because we've clicked over from 2021 to 2022. We've got a huge level of uncertainty ahead. And for many people, the consequence of living through 2021 has meant uncertainty in terms of their job security, uncertainty in terms of seeing families, uncertainty in terms of being able to uh, do the things and fulfill the life, dreams, ambitions that they wanted to have. And so the prospect of that happening in the new year, we need to think about. If you're really wanting to think about loss of freedom, think about the refugees that we have in the world. A number of people we've watched on our screens in the last few weeks trying to escape from areas that uh, are oppressing them and where their freedom has really been taken away and now they're living and struggling. And I and my wife over there, we had a, the privilege of getting to know some families in Christchurch when, in the last church that we were at where we, we took responsibility for, for sponsoring some refugee families. And I remember one of the families spoke to us in church one morning and talk to us about their life. And we have images of refugees, don't we, of being, people being you know, poor and hardly a rag to wear and not much food and all this sort of thing. And this, this couple stood in front of us. They were from Syria. 
the woman was an obstetrician. Her husband was an engineer. They showed us photographs of their home in Syria. Beautiful home. Nicer than most of the ones that we'd lived in. <clears throat> and how, as Christians, they were being persecuted, and they knew that there was a time coming where they may have to flee. And indeed, that time came. They were given 30 minutes to run out of their house with their two children. And they escaped, fortunately, left everything behind, nothing apart from the clothes they had on their back and their two children, and escaped, and found themselves in a refugee camp for seven years, seven years, with the uncertainty of never knowing what's coming next and where, where they may end up going next. And in that seven years, they had a third child in that refugee camp, and then an act of God, they believe, gave them an opportunity to come and be settled in New Zealand. Right? But for the thousands of others who remain in that camp and other camps like it, their life remains just uncertain. And those people continue in our world. This is the world that we inhabit now. And then, of course, we've got all sorts of areas in the world where we're facing uh, uncertainty because of revolution, you know, political disagreements, uh, greed, seizing power, religious disagreements. We see this even in New Zealand right at the moment where we've got Christian groups, religious groups, opposing each other in their views around things that are happening. How opposed is all of this to those ideas that we were preaching about just before Christmas? Peace, love, hope. Right? It seems a complete antithesis, doesn't it? And so the challenge to us as Christians, I believe, is, God, where are you in the midst of this? And what do you want me to do? How should I then live? When we've got tens of thousands of people like this in the world, many of us in the room, I'm sure, um, have sponsored children, perhaps done it for years as a way of contributing. We see the advertisements from World Vision, from UNICEF, from others like this, reminding us that there are so many people who don't have the privilege that we had at Christmas or New Year to enjoy those meals that we enjoyed with friends and family, who to get one meal in the day or even one in a week is a privilege. Where is Jesus in the midst of all of this? And where are we? At home, you don't have to go over to the, some of those camps. At home, this church made an outstanding contribution. You probably won't realize unless some stories are told the impact of the contributions that were made in this church to the local food bank for Christmas. You'll have seen stories, I'm sure, on the news recently of, church, uh, of uh, food banks around New Zealand facing unprecedented demand. And that's been the case here, right here in the lower hut area. It's no different. Unprecedented demand. And for the families who came in to uh, take food parcels from the food bank in that week or so leading up to Christmas, and to have included in that some of the things that were donated by people in this church, transformed their view of what Christmas was going to be like for their family. To be able to have something just in addition to some of the staples, to be a, the things that we take for granted. But that doesn't go away just before it's Christmas is over. That demand is going to continue through this year because there has been a shift in the lives of so many people and the things that they do. 
And so when I think about what we've got coming up here, it's a bit like this. You'll recognize this as the old Where's Wally books, right? It takes you forever to find Wally in some of these pictures. But it's a little bit like the confusion that we face when we look at a world like that. When we look at a world where we've got people starving, where we've got people being oppressed, where we've got people whose liberty and freedom has truly been taken away. The challenge is, where's Jesus? Where's Jesus in all of this? And if we know where Jesus is, then what's he doing about it? And how, how, what hope do we have of seeing something come through from that? You know, I... Um, always go back to the Bible and uh, look for, for some indication of this. And you don't have to look far in the New Testament to find where Jesus is in the midst of all of this stuff. He's right in the middle of it. He's as close as you'll get to it. Jesus was this amazing person who, born as a baby, that we remember at Christmas, grew to this adult who was, in nature and form, the very image of God, who was God, who had could find a place speaking in the temple steps and arguing with the, the officials in the temple right down to having meals with those who were perceived as sinners. Right? Jesus was as close to the action as you can get. And so I believe part of the, the challenge for us when we're asking the question, where in a world like this is Jesus? It's almost like the finger points back to us. Where does Jesus want us? Where has he asked us to be in us? And so I couldn't let an opportunity to, to preach to go past this again. Um, I keep on being reminded, oh, you're the guy who did the tabernacle, right? <laughs> but you see, this to me is one of the most amazing things about the Bible and about the, the legacy that we have as Christians is that this God that we profess with our lips as being the author of creation is indeed that. He had a plan that's been working out through history, a plan that's been working out from the very beginning of time. And the organization of the tabernacle, as we looked at last year, is, own, is a part of that. And we read in Hebrews 8 this morning the fact that this was just a step along the way. This idea of the tabernacle was to reveal to us what we needed to do. You know, remember, you come through the, the entrance into the tabernacle, the first thing you had to do was sacrifice. Why? Because there's no way in which we could live up to the way that God expects us to be. We have sinned. We're, we're in our thoughts, our words, our deeds, there are things that we do, things we think, things we say that just offend God. And so a sacrifice has to be made. And then we have to go in and wash up clean. And then we can proceed into that holy place and we can understand what God did for the people as he led them out of Egypt with the shrewbread. We can see that God brought light to the world. Jesus is the light of the world. We can come and burn the incense, the prayers to God, but we cannot get past that veil into the holy place. Only that high priest can go into their holy place taking with him some of the blood of the sacrifice to put it on the temple. That was, uh, sorry, on the altar. That was the, that was the picture. That was the image. But of course, as I explained in that, in that last thing, it's really an image. It's, it's a foretaste 
of Jesus coming, celebrating at Christmas the birth of a child who would, through his life, through his teaching, through his death, fulfill that. And as we read in Hebrews 8 this morning, he's the one true high priest. We don't have to have all that anymore, all that blood pouring out of the streets and making mess and smell. We don't have to have it. Because it says in Hebrews 8 that he enters in straight through, not carrying blood with him, but because his blood was shed. So it's important when we're thinking at Christmas and New Year, we've got the whole picture in mind. And we're going through step by step there, thinking how can we make this work in our lives? How can we make this a thing that, when we're embarking on this New Year, really becomes part of us. I want to share with you a story because some of us in the room here may be feeling a bit like this at the moment, as if we're sitting at a crossroads. There's a couple of paths going. Which one do we take? And I think that's, that's the place God wants us all the time, often. He knows that if we get too comfortable, if we get too focused just on our own personal ambitions and goals, we become less malleable, less able to be used in his hands. And so sometimes he leads us to a place where we've got a path this way and a path that way. And we've got to think, what am I going to do about that? I want to share a personal story about that. Uh, some of you remember New Year's Eve 2000. Remember the state change of the millennium? Amazing. My wife and I sat uh, and, and we were with our four children at the time on the year 2000, Hagley Park in Christchurch, listening to Dave Dobbin play in the new year, all that sort of stuff. And we were amongst thousands and thousands of people. And there was this great hope and this expectation that something was going to happen. I was working at the time uh, as a lecturer uh, in, in teacher education down in Canterbury and um, had a you know, pretty happy, secure job, been doing it for about 10 years, thought that was okay. I was doing a bit of a secondment job at that time for the Christchurch City Council, building a big program for kids around the world called Global Net 2000. And I'd also been tapped on the shoulder by uh, our, our pastor at Southwest Baptist to see whether I might contemplate joining the pastoral team. So I sat at the beginning of that year looking like this. What am I going to do? And uh, I didn't do much about it because I was secure in my job. That was keeping an income going. I was still doing what I liked to do with this Global Net 2000. I was still having ongoing conversations with the pastor at the church. Nothing seemed to happen. And then I got closer and closer towards the end of the year. Jane became pregnant during that year with our fifth child. And uh, we started to think, oh, this could get fairly serious now. And so I started to pray harder and harder. God, I, I really need your wisdom in this. Human wisdom. All my friends were saying, you're an idiot. Stay, at, stay lecturing. Secure income. You know, secure job. You've got another baby coming on the way. That's the way to go. Right? Part of my excitement goes, Global Net 2000, doing something on the edge, something risky and, and helping kids all over the world. Yeah, but there's no income from that really much. Uh, it, was, it was largely a voluntary, a voluntary sort of thing. And then another part of me said, yeah, but wouldn't it be good to be on the pastoral team? Imagine all these people would think oh, what they'd think of you if you became a pastor. And I was, this was going round and round in my head. And I couldn't make head and a tail of it. And so came to a point where I said to God, 
God, why am I not getting any clear guidance on this? Why am I not feeling that peace? Why am I gay? And so the first thing I heard him say very, very strongly, he said, because you're still holding on to your security. You're, you're holding on. You haven't let go to let me take you somewhere. Said, what do you mean? He said, well, you're still employed as a lecturer. You, this is your security. That's your fail-safe. That's your security blanket. So I took a big step. I wrote a letter of resignation and resigned. Felt this immense... Phew. Now, I'm not recommending everyone does this. You've got to... But it was, it was something I believe God was saying to me. I resigned. And I thought, oh, okay. So the next thing I thought, okay, God, it seems that I could either go in to the pastoral team or I could pick up this new thing that you seem to be creating an opportunity for me to do here. Lord, I really need to know your mind here. And uh, prayed like that for several weeks. Jane was becoming more and more pregnant. The end of the year was coming on. Um, you know, a lot of responsibility here. And the second thing I felt God saying to me really, really clearly was, you could do either of these things, both paths. It's up to you. Right? You can do it. He says, but I do want to say to you, You've spent your life in education. I've spent my, all, all that guidance, all that support I've given you in education. I've introduced you to people. I've given you doors open. It, says, it would be a shame to see all that go to waste. I'm going to have to find someone else to do that work if you go off and do that work. It was, it was kind of that strong impression. So I rang the pastor and I said, looks like the door's closed. I'm not going there. Which left me with this very nebulous thing that was not a thing, that was a, I didn't know what was happening. Two days later, I got a phone call. And a person on the end of the phone said, Derek, I think um, you're the person we need for this job that uh, we've been looking for a year for, a, for someone to do this piece of work. And uh, it happens to be in Wellington, and um, here it is. And I sat and I listened to it, and I thought, that's my dream job. It's like, this is the thing that I've been studying and thinking about all my life. And it's, they're asking me if I'd like to, to take it up. So I sat there and I thought, well, I couldn't move. Moving to Wellington is ridiculous, right? It's a silly thing to do. Uh, so when you've got four kids and you've got another one on the way and we'd, we'd only just finished putting the last lick of paint to our house that we'd spent five years kind of fixing up and doing up ourselves. And... Um, so I said, well, maybe I could do it remotely because it was a distance education job. That's my specialty. I could do it from Christchurch, you know, part-time and supplement this other thing that I'm playing around with. Flew up to Wellington. They interviewed me, looked at it, realised it was a bigger-than-being-heard job. No way you could do it remotely. So I said politely, look, I'm sorry. I, think, I don't think I can do this. They said, well, if you change your mind, let us know. So came home, sat down that night with my wife and... The family and my eldest daughter, who was uh, about 15 at the time, said at the table, OK, what did you do today, Dad? And I just said, well, I turned down my dream job. She said, why did you do that? I said, well, this is what the job was, but it meant moving to Wellington. And I knew that none of the family would want to do that because you're involved in drama here and you're involved in swimming here and you're involved in this here and we've got our church and we're doing it. And I said, why didn't you talk to us first? <laughs> it wasn't a response I expected. I said, but... I didn't think you'd want to do it, but maybe, maybe we'd like a change. Maybe we'd like to do something different. 
So I rang these people back and said, yeah, I'll take your job. All right? And the rest is history. Jane then gave birth to our, our fifth child just before Christmas. And uh, with a two-month-old and a, a really ageing, decrepit old van that we had, we put everything in, moved up to Wellington. And that was, we lived up here for about five years at that stage before we moved back to Christchurch. The reason I'm telling that story, though, is really that the, uh, the thing that, that we've got to be prepared in our lives to do, this is, that, this is when we talk about something like faith, faith is about being connected to not a memory of a child in a manger, it's being connected to a living God, a living God, a God of creation, the God who is as interested in the entire world and the suffering and plight of all of those others as he is in every hair on our head. And it's when we get that, I believe, when we get that sense of God's presence in our life and his leading and his calling in our lives that we, we will be moved to where he wants us to be and we will be used in the way he wants it to use us. Otherwise, we just live with some memory in our head of something that happened a long time ago. And we gather because it makes us feel good because the singing's okay, until it's not. And then we get upset about the singing or the sound or the words that didn't go up on time and that sort of thing. And we're not connected anymore to that living, wonderful God who leads us day by day in the way. If you look on in Hebrews, Hebrews 11, 8 is, is where it talks about Abraham. And it's just a wonderful thing. He said, he, God called Abraham. said, I'm going. Abraham says, and so he went without knowing where he was going. That's risky. That really puts us on the edge. There's not many people I know who are prepared to do that naturally. But in God's strength, boy, we can live some pretty amazing lives, some very different lives. And so the question I want to just ask us today is, is that word that I've used two or three times now is that notion of calling. You see, when Jesus was on earth, he couldn't do it all himself. And he knew there was a point. He was going to be taken up, killed on the cross, die and leave. He wanted to leave behind people who could carry that work on. What did he do? He called them. We're very familiar with this story. He called Peter. He called the fishermen. He didn't go out and look for the best the best Bible scholars or Old Testament scholars. He didn't go out and look for the best orators. He didn't go out and look for the most wealthy or the people who had the biggest height. He just called people where they were. People with the skills and the abilities that they had didn't matter. He called them. And when you look at that picture, one of the reflective exercises I'd challenge you to do is say, if you were there, where would you be in that picture? Are you one of the onlookers on that side? Are you the guy with the beard who's sort of pushing his way? He looks like he's pushing his way through because he wants to be a bit... What's going on here? Are you there, the one of the two fishermen who are really engaged, eye contact, taking Or are you the other fisherman in the background, oh, whatever, you know? That's happening over here. Come on, I'm waiting to get these nets going. Where are you in the picture when it comes to hearing God call you? And what is God calling you? See, God's calling has nothing to do with our abilities and our preparedness. God's calling is not that we're going to go out and work for him, but he wants us to be so loyal to him 
but can he, he can do his work through us. I haven't put a lot of words on the slides, but I thought I didn't want to muck that one up because that really is the heart of it. That's the call on our lives now. It's not, are you prepared to go? Are you, doing, are you loyal enough in your relationship with God that he can use you? Because I reckon God's got some pretty amazing things ahead of us as we think about what the new year is going to be like. But it's only going to be amazing if we're here. I want to say at this stage there's a big difference between being called and volunteering. I read some research recently suggested that in the church, people who are active in the church, nearly 70% responded that they were there as volunteers. They saw themselves as volunteers in the church and the work they were doing, in the sound desk, in the music team, in the looking after old people, and looking after young people, looking after Sunday school, and looking after this, that, and the other. They were, they were things to do in the church, and they volunteered. Far fewer talked about being called. doesn't mean to say you don't do all those other things, but what God is calling us, I believe, today is or saying to us is what's your calling well, I, oh, he wants to call us when we call when we are responding to a call we are more likely to be really devoted we're likely to see ourselves through the hard times when things get a bit rumpy and when it doesn't work out the way if it's our calling we'll stick with it if we're merely volunteering we'll give up once someone rubs us up the wrong way once it gets a bit hard once it starts you know, not working out the way we wanted it to. That's how volunteer organisations, there's, there's heaps of literature being written about that. But a calling is a very different thing. And so the question I'd like to leave here, well, there's several of them here. I've got my image of the pathway in the background. But if we think about Hutt City Baptist Church, we think about the paths that lie ahead. We had our annual general meeting last year, towards the end of the year. Several things were laid out there about what could happen in the year. Where's Jesus going to be in the middle of this church in 2022? Not just the baby Jesus, but the mature Jesus, the redemptive Jesus, the Jesus who brings reconciliation, the Jesus who can be the wellspring of faith, hope, love. Where is he going to be in your life, in your family, I was having a conversation about this recently with a Christian friend and we were observing that you know, people seem to find it so much easier to make resolutions about joining a gym and about getting up early to go to a gym and look after their fitness or to stop eating something that is affecting their body. A lot easier than simply making time every morning or evening to reflect and pray. Where's Jesus going to be in your daily routine? Where's Jesus going to be calling you from? Because he can't call you unless you're listening. Right? What's going to keep you fresh in that relationship? And what are you going to be called in? Just finish here with uh, a reminder. There, there are those, those themes. There are two ways we can look at those. How are we going to appropriate that in our lives? Each one of those things. How are we going to make them real in our lives? 
And then in the way that we are called, how are we going to make those things evident in the lives of others that we deal with, that we encounter every day, our family, our neighbours, our friends, those we work with, those in our wider community, those in the jobs that we are uh, a part of. So can we go back to slide one? Because there was just a, a finishing thing here. We're able to bring... This was something as a very, very young Christian, a very wise and older person, made this comment to me and it stuck in my mind. You know those times where you, you're getting on with stuff and you're doing it and you're carrying along and then after a while you realise, oh, maybe I'm not feeling as close as I should be. God does seem a long way away. And it was just that when he feels a long way away, it's not because he's moved, but perhaps you have. There's something he wants you to do to move closer. Let's just pray together. Lord, I just pray that the words spoken this morning would be resonating in our minds and our hearts, but in a positive way, Lord, in a way that would cause us to really desire for this year to be close to you, to be loyal to you, that you might work through us. Lord, we look to you right now. Lord, that you would be the vision in our lives, that through your vision, we would make a change in the world, big or small. We give ourselves to you for that purpose. Amen.